You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's open our Bibles together this afternoon. We turn to the Old Testament, to the prophecies of Isaiah, chapter 11. Now, the word of our God reads as follows. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, and the lion, and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will be vanished, and Judah's enemies will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, nor Judah hostile toward Ephraim. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together they will plunder the people to the east. They will lay hands on Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites will be subject to them. The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. With a scorching wind he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven streams so that men can cross over in sandals. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. I preach to you this afternoon from the word of our God as you find it in the prophecies of Jeremiah 23, the verses 1 to 8. Thus says the Lord, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. 
I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. So then, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, then they will live in their own land. Love the congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Many people call this the festive season. For this is the time of year when lights and music and parties are all the rage. And this is also the time of year when many people lose their financial inhibitions and the credit cards are hot with use or is it overuse. The air is filled with cheer. And it might be also said a good deal of abandon. This is the fun season. But yet taking a more objective stance, this is also the backward season. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that this is the time of year that is really based on looking backward. Indeed, it goes back more than 2,000 years ago. It goes all the way back to the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in a manger. Today, tomorrow, especially on Tuesday, it's the past that will have center stage. Ancient events will dominate. And that's okay. At least, for a few days, it's okay. But not for much longer. And why not? Because God's people are meant to be a forward-looking people. The past may shape us, but it is the future that must fill us. It must fill us with hope, with good confidence, and with wonderful expectation. Yes, and I dare add that was also the case in the days of the prophet Jeremiah. He and all of God's people in his day were looking forward. They were desperately looking forward to the great day. And they had no end of questions. When will he come? What will be the signs of his coming? How will he come? What will he look like? What will he do? How will he help us? So many questions, hopes, dreams expectations. And indeed, perhaps at no time in the history of God's people has the longing for the Messiah been more intense. Perhaps at no time in the Old Testament is the rejoicing as great as when Jeremiah pens these words of chapter 23, and you find them back again also in chapter 33. And so let's look closely now at The prophet's Advent tidings, I preach to you on the theme, your Advent question for today, how can a branch be righteous? 
Let's together look at the timing. It's wonderful. The contents, it's comforting. And finally, the fulfillment, it's glorious. Beloved, I said just a moment ago that the timing of this Advent prophecy of Jeremiah can be called wonderful. Well, what do I mean by that? What makes its timing so wonderful? Well, to answer that, we need to have a look, first of all, at the international situation of Jeremiah's day, as well a little at the local situation, too. First, there is the international situation that needs to be taken account, and it is one of great unrest and conflict. The superpowers of Jeremiah's day were Assyria, Babylon, and Egypt. And at certain points, they were all marching to attack one another. First, the Assyrians had been flexing their muscles for some time already. Then the Babylonians thought that it was their time and their right to take on the Assyrians, and they did, and they even captured their city, Nineveh. And thirdly, Egypt didn't want to miss out, and so it assembled a huge army and marched northward to show the Babylonians just who really was number one. And in view of all of this excitement, everyone was waiting with bated breath as to who would be the next dominant power in the world. Would it be Egypt to the south? Would it be Babylon to the east? Would it be Assyria perhaps making a comeback to the north? Who's going to dominate the world stage? Which empire is going to rule supreme? Meanwhile, the little nations all around trembled in fear. Many tried to ally themselves to the power that they thought would win. And they sent negotiating teams loaded down with gifts here, there, and everywhere in the hope that somehow they would end up on the winning side. All too often, they had been victimized already by these steamrollers from the south and the north and the east. They were desperately looking for security and stability. And often they were willing to sell their national souls in the process. Yes, beloved, and that brings us to the particular situation in Judah. And there things are not any better. Judah also is at this time in crisis. As a matter of fact, it's been in crisis already for some time, morally, economically, politically, spiritually, it is a mess. The chapters before our text reveal Judah limping along from one inept ruler to the next. King Jehoahaz, King Jehoiakim, King Jehoiachin, King Zedekiah, they're all disasters. And you'll notice, if you read this particular prophecy, that time and again, Jeremiah rails against them. He accuses them of stealing from their citizens, allowing immorality to go unchecked, perverting justice, permitting idolatry to flourish, exploiting the poor and the needy. Yes, and the kings are not alone in this. Jeremiah says the prophets and the priests are not one whit better. In his days, he says, the prophets are all lying. And the priests are doing whatever they jolly well please. 
You see, there is a crisis of leadership in the land. Little wonder, therefore, that as our text opens, you hear this devastating indictment from Jeremiah. Actually, it's come straight from the Lord himself. He's the one who lays a charge against Israel's leaders. Look at verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. You know, more than anything else, shepherds are supposed to be in the gathering business. They're supposed to be looking after the sheep with great care and diligence. They're supposed to be doing everything possible to defend them, to gather them together. But such is not the case with the shepherds in Israel. The kings, the prophets, the priests no longer have any idea of their true calling. As a matter of fact, they're the opposite of what they are meant and called to be. They're not in the gathering business, says the Lord, but they are now in the scattering business. And so he lays charge against them. But notice there's not just a charge here. There's also a punishment. Verse 2, because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. Very simply, judgment is about to fall on Judah's leadership. The Lord's patience has come to an end. The warnings are drying up. The day of reckoning approaches. Punishment is imminent. But then, beloved, amidst divine words of indictment and punishment, there is also a surprising word of excitement. Notice what the Lord also says in the verses 3 and 4. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. You can tell from that the Lord has had enough. He's heard enough cries, seen enough suffering, heard enough, and witnessed enough miscarriages of justice. He's fed up with all of his human servants, and he's going to do it himself. He's going to take matters into his own hands. And how will he do it? Well, notice for starters, he's going to go into the gathering business. He's going to bring his people back, back to their own land. He's going to rescue them, and they will flourish as never before. But something else as well. They'll receive new leaders, new shepherds, shepherds who care. Shepherds who understand, shepherds who who emphasize a new future and new shepherds are coming. And now, beloved, perhaps you can begin to see why 
The timing of Jeremiah's prophecy here could not be better. Just when the faithful are down in the dumps, just when they think that everything is hopeless and useless, just when they're ready to throw in the towel on hope, on life, on peace, God intervenes. Yes, and come to think of it, isn't he always doing that? Even today? You know, in the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, there is this super comforting verse. All of you should commit it to memory. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way of escape so that you can stand under it. That's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Engrave it on your mind. You see, in so many ways, those words describe God's dealings with his saints in the Old Testament. He never let them be tempted beyond their strength. Oh, yes, he, he tries them, he stretches them, he, he bends them, but he doesn't break them. And in addition, he's always providing a way of escape, whether it's out of Egypt, whether it's out of the clutches of all of those people who took over the land during the days of the judges, whether it's in the time of evil kings, it doesn't matter. When they call on him, he hears them. And he runs to their rescue. And so it was in the days of Jeremiah too. The people of God are reassured again. No prophet brings darker tidings than Jeremiah. But God steps forward and shatters the darkness with his promises. Yes, and he does the same in these days of Advent, too. As we live in anticipation of the second coming, and as we, too, experience evil days and dark times, just think of what happened recently in Connecticut, we may be comforted by the knowledge that our God will not abandon us. And why not? Well, because as the Apostle Paul puts it, he is faithful and he is faithful. He will not let you ever faithful, always faithful, wonderfully faithful. But then, beloved, if the timing of this prophecy could not be better, the contents could also not be more comforting. It spills over into verse 5 of our text. The days are coming, says the Lord. And, you know, that's how the really good news begins. That's how it always begins. New days are coming. A new start is going to be made. A new era is dawning. But just how does it manifest itself? And how do we know that it's not just one more temporary flash in the pan? Well, we know it because this time God announces the coming of a very special person. 
Jeremiah quotes the Lord, I will raise up to David a righteous branch. A better translation can be found in the footnote. I will raise up from David's line a righteous branch. Now, two things especially should have our attention here. The first is that the name of David is mentioned again. I say again because we heard about him in Matthew 1. You probably heard about him this morning as well in Ruth 4. David's name is everywhere during Advent. Yes, and it's also here in Jeremiah 23. I will raise up from David's line. Our God does not forget his old oaths to David. He does not ignore David's line forever. Our God does not lie or exaggerate about what will happen to David's throne. He keeps his word. But in what way does he do so? Well, notice what comes next. Notice what God will raise up. He calls it a branch, or if you will, a shoot. Now, what does that mean? What does that do? Well, actually, beloved, it's a description of the current state of David's house. It depicts graphically what remains of his line. It it tells you very simply what is left of his throne. It defines really the status of his kingdom. And it really tells us that there is hardly anything left of David in Jeremiah's time. Or even in Isaiah's time. Isaiah calls him a stump. By the way, we know something about stumps here in British Columbia, don't we? You don't have to drive far to see trees cut down. Even mighty trees that once dominated the landscape. And what's left? Almost nothing. No massive trunk. No sweeping branches. No vibrant leaves. All that remains is a stump, cut off, sawn off, decapitated. All the evidence that remains of former grandeur is this useless, ugly, dying, rotting piece of wood. It's a stump. And that's what David's house was like in the days of the prophet Jeremiah. And that's rather stark imagery. What a sad and tragic reminder of what has happened to David. How the mighty have fallen. But then Jeremiah says, wait. Wait, all is is not lost. For God says that this stump, this ugly, useless piece of wood in the ground is not dead and is not lifeless after all. 
That new life will flow in it again. That a branch is going to shoot up out of it. And that a whole new beginning is about to be made. David's line, David's house, is not a goner after all. Indeed, far from it. For the Lord says that a branch or a shoot will rise out of it, that the stump will sprout something, that there is life left in it, that it'll be, as it were, a miraculous stump. But it will also be a weird stump. For look, Jeremiah says that the branch or the shoot will be righteous. And what does that mean? Since when would we classify branches as righteous? They're either small or they're big, attractive or ugly, have potential or no potential. We don't, however, call them righteous. Who speaks of righteous branches? Who speaks like that today? Well, beloved, God does. The Lord does. He speaks symbolically and metaphorically here. He also, by the way, speaks sarcastically. He he takes a direct jab at all of those unrighteous branches called Zedekiah and Jehoiachin and Jehoiakim and Jehoahaz. Crooked and corrupt is what they are. They're just like a bunch of modern African despots. They build their fancy palaces while their people are homeless, and they have their grandiose banquets while their citizens starve to death. But there is much more than sarcasm here. There's also good news, great news, happy news. For the Lord declares that a totally different kind of branch is coming. A shoot unlike any other. He will be, you notice what he says in verse 5, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. A new king is coming. A better king. A totally different kind of king. A A branch king who is clothed in righteousness. A king who really loves his people. Cares for them. Defends them. Looks after them. Blesses them. Guides them. Saves them. Yes, and who fits that description better? Than Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's the true son of David, born of David's line, born in David's city, born to rule forever. And he is at the same time the restorer of everything that David has lost and everything that David's descendants are not and have failed to be. He's the righteous branch who heals, who feeds and comforts, and defends, and saves, and enriches his people perfectly and forever. 
He's the king who comes as the servant and the servant who comes as the king. The king of Israel, the king of the world, the king of the church. As he says in Revelation 22, I am the root and the offspring of David. In other words, I'm the real McCoy. The real item. And I am the bright morning star. So, beloved, what are we being told here by Jeremiah? We're being told the true king is coming at last. God is no longer going to rely upon his human helpers. He's going to send his son, the righteous branch. Yes, and come he does. On Tuesday, we hope to celebrate the fact that he has come. And you know, on Wednesday, we will still be celebrating, not because it's Boxing Day, but, and all the sales are on. But then we'll be celebrating something even better. We'll be celebrating the fact the king isn't finished. He's more work to do. He's more than just an ancient name and a demolished throne and a suffering nation to restore. He has an entire creation to redeem. I said it already. In the days of Jeremiah, people were looking forward. And we should be too. Indeed, that should be the prime direction of our living. Forward, upward. Oh, yes, you have permission to look back today and tomorrow and on Tuesday. But don't keep looking that way. Don't keep on looking back. The best is not behind you. The best is in front of you. The king of glory is coming. But, but will we all get to share in his glory? Will we all be equally blessed by his return? Why do I ask or raise such disturbing questions? Well, because according to Jeremiah, not all will benefit from the coming of the righteous branch. So very clearly, not all Israel will be rescued, will be brought back, will be restored and redeemed. Not all will see the promised land again. Look closely at verse 3. The Lord is quoted there as saying, I myself will gather the remnant of my people. A remnant. A remnant only. That means a portion. A part of them. Only some of them. And that's it. The sad reality is that most of the people of Israel will not and did not come back from exile. 
Why didn't they come back? Because the Lord didn't see fit to bring them back. And why not? Because they they hadn't learned anything from all of those years of, of darkness and of turmoil and conquest and captivity. Their hearts had become callous and hard and indifferent, and that's how they remained. And so what does God do? In the words of Romans 1, to put a modern perspective on it, he gives them over to their wicked desires and to their evil selves. He allows them to experience the dire consequences of their unbelief and their conceit and their sin. To exile they go, and in exile, they remain forever. But not so the remnant. Not so, so to speak, to those who hang in there. Not so to those who continue to live by faith, even if that faith is weak and vulnerable and very small. Not so those who continue to confess his name even while their lives may be filled with a boatload of weaknesses. For them God has planned a different future. A future filled with fulfillment glorious. You know, already in Jeremiah's day, the returning remnant caught a glimpse of that. Jeremiah says that when these people come back, they will be singing a song, a new song of liberation. And he says they're no longer going to be singing that old song about Egypt and the house of bondage and Pharaoh and the Red Sea and all that stuff. No, look at verse 8. They're going to be singing a song about being brought out of the land of the north. And out of all those places to which the Lord God has banished them. And indeed, it'll be a song about being home at last and being home forever. Beloved, here in the days of Jeremiah, a remnant, it says, will come home and they'll be singing. Yes, as a matter of fact, God's remnant people are always singing. Even in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, you find them singing. There they're singing about the branch who's become, and who is also the lamb. Listen, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wisdom and wealth and strength and honor and glory. And praise. The singing about him now in a new land, in that new heaven and that new earth. A remnant is singing in their eternal home. And beloved, I don't ask this perhaps often enough, but time to time it needs to be asked. Are you among that remnant? 
Are you among those who continue to live by faith in the promises of Almighty God? Are you among those who are looking to Jesus Christ, the righteous branch for salvation? Are you among those who say, Lord, Lord, but who really, truly mean it? If you are, then our God will graciously make it so. And then I invite you back for a few days to rejoice, but I invite you even more to look forward and to rejoice forever. The helpless babe in the manger is now the mighty king on the throne of heaven. The stump has given birth to a branch, a great, glorious, righteous, everlasting branch. It's like a tree whose leaves are for the healing of the nations and an everlasting home for God's remnant people. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.